On this episode of the The Sam D Podcast, we get into the NBA playoffs. The first round has begun. The play-in games are done. We are on, and it actually matters. The first round is here. Games have started. Let's talk about it. Also on this podcast, Brian Flores has received some backup. Brian Flores has also kept a lot of receipts, and he let the league know about how the Dolphins were actually moving. Speaking of the Dolphins, the Dolphins keep showing themselves to be with this latest Tom Brady bombshell, the coulda, shoulda, woulda deal that didn't happen. Just how much nepotism runs their organization. We'll get into it. And lastly, a pair of blue check boys show how little they know yet again. With all that being said, fresh off of this Easter weekend, I can't think of no better title for the episode than 2-7 Heaven. So let's get into it. The SMD Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the The SMD Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Dusmay Jr. Follow me on the Elon app at The SMD. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Also, follow along the podcast on the Elon app at the CMD Podcast. Subscribe and rate to the podcast. Five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend. Podcast available on all major podcasts and platforms, including the Purple app and the Rogan app. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thecmd.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Link is in the podcast description. Musical production done by Mayfirst Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Kyrie just can't win, can he? He just can't win online. It is amazing the vitriol that he receives just for doing anything. He pulls up to Boston. Mans has saged that place. He has stepped on the leprechaun and rubbed his Kyrie shoe into the leprechaun. He has done every everything he could to try to exercise the demons, the ghost of him being a Celtic and him not feeling wanted or welcomed in the TD Garden. And man, he put on a show yesterday. He put on a show with his play and with his antics. And the Nets were this close, three-tenths of a second away from stealing game one in Boston. But then that Tatum thing happened. But then that Marcus Smart thing happened. And then that Al Horford thing happened? Yo. (laughs) That Al Horford thing happened in the year 2022. Al Horford. Double doubles? Al Horford. 20 plus? I thought thought Sixers fans were saying that Al Horford was washed. He was done. He was the reason why the team didn't gel last year. I thought the Al Horford thing was such a failed experiment. And he was jettisoned so, so loudly, loudly out of Philly that people made it seem like Al Horford was done. Yet here he is in round one, 20 plus in a double-double. You, you love to see it. You love to see it. All those, all those many Sixer GMs, all those millions and millions of Sixer GMs online. <laughs> Man, they know basketball. Al Holford out here, double doubles. Anywho, 2-7 heaven. 
we are in a great spot because most of these series are going to be Basura. Most of these first round matchups are going to be Basura. And I hear those people using Basura, by the way. I hear them. I hear them. You hear them too. We won't say anything, but just know I hear them. The first round matchups are Basura. Now what it comes down to is we only have two series. And I've been teasing them, teased them on the last pod, teased them on my usual weekly hit on ESPN Radio with the homie Greg Larnard. The two seven matchups in both the East and the West are going to be one of those ones. They're each going to be one of one. Because when you look at what the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies gave us in game one, and damn sure what the Celtics and the Nets gave us just yesterday, there's no other place to be than locked in on those two series. You may have a favorite team in the first round. You may just like to just watch all the basketball. But if you're really into ball and just competitiveness at a high level, look no further than the two seven matchups in the East and the West. But the Nets-Celtics yesterday, You talk about ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. This game gave you a lot. It gave you a spectacular performance of Kyrie. It gave you a subpar performance from Slim Reaper. You know, subpar by his standards, being that he's the best player in the world right now. Then you had Tatum going crazy. You had Marcus Smart going crazy. Marcus Smart, and he's a finalist for a defensive player of the year, and he showed you why at various points in that game, but he also showed you offensively what he can do as the point guard. And that's always been a thing. They've been trying to replace Marcus Smart seemingly ever since he got there. They had IT3. They had Kyrie. They had Kemba. And Marcus Smart's been there the entire time just like, Yo, dogs, just let me be point. I know I'm not your prototypical sexy combo scoring point guard. That's all the rage in the NBA, but I'm a real point guard. I play defense. I can hit the open shot and I can facilitate. What else do you need a point guard to do? Marcus Smart's been waving his hands like, yo, dogs, it's me. I'm him. Through all those regime changes, through all those different point guards that have been more highly touted, yet Marcus Smart's been right here. And if you remember earlier in the season, I pulled this cut months ago, was trying to find a way to work it in when the Celtics were struggling, but I didn't get a chance to get to it. But now that off that heel, off the heels of that game yesterday, I now have the, the, the chance to revisit it. When the Celtics were struggling, when Tatum was really in his I want to be Kobe bag and just chucking up shots ad nauseum and the Celtics were struggling and no one knew how to pronounce the coach's name and the boy genius looked to be like he was running from the smoke and was just going to let this franchise crash and burn, Marcus Smart stood on his own 10 toes, put all of them down, and spoke his truth. How does your role as a point guard how do you feel like you need to help guide that? Only so much I can do without the ball in my hand. Uh. Sitting, sitting in the corner. Um, we run in plays for our best players. Every team knows that. We, you know, uh, they do a good job of shutting that down. And, you know, we, we can't allow that. You know, when they mm. shut that down, we can't keep trying to go to those guys. We got to, you know, abort that. You know, every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Dave. 
mm. and everything that's programmed and ready to stop Jason and Jay. I mean, it's really more Tatum, but I think everybody's talented. Make those guys try to pass the ball. I mean, Tatum really think pass the ball. You know, something that they're going to learn. They're still learning. You know, and we're proud of the, the you know, the progress they're making, but they're going to have to make another step and find ways to not only create for themselves but create for others on this team. And based off the heels of that. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say that moment shifted the course or changed the trajectory of the Celtics season, but it damn sure let them know who's a leader in that locker room. And Marcus Smart's been that dude. He'd been that dude for a minute. They just needed to trust in him and let him run point. And with this defense-first philosophy that they've tried to institute and have done successfully with Robert Williams in the paint and Marcus Smart up top, that will change your defense. Those two guys are defense first. So when you have two defense first guys on the court like that, especially in your starting lineup, it allows the Tatums to go Kobe-esque. It allows Jalen Brown to be the, two, the two-way player hybrid that he is. It allows even someone like Al Horford to come in and either go play the four, if you want to go big with Robert Williams, or go play the five if you take Williams off the four, but it allows Horford to kind of get more into a rhythm and get more shots. That was the problem, Philly. You didn't give him shots. But anyway... Marcus Smart stepped out there on that ledge and aired out Tatum and Brown. Now, to me, it was more Tatum than Brown, but, you know, he mentioned both of them because those are the two. They're top heavy. But Marcus Smart went out there yesterday and not only played the defense that we're accustomed to. Now, look, Kyrie still got 39. <laughs> let's, not, let's not play the game. Like, like Kyrie is that. Like, you could have a finalist for the defensive player of the year award on him and he can still go get damn near a 40 piece okay so let's let's be clear that's how special Kyrie is but Marcus Smart at big points in the game in the first and second half was able to stop Brooklyn runs and ignite Celtic runs by his defense stepping in the passing lane getting his getting his hand on the ball pause Like he was able to do little things, the intangible things that don't score, that don't show up on the stat sheet to get things done defensively. He made a difference in that game outside of the 20 points and he made the big assist at the end. Out there, he could have went for the hero shot. He could have went for the hero moment and chucked the rock up, but he hits you with the pump fake. He got two nets in the air. Two nets went bird, man. Flew right by Marcus Smart. Now, and Kenny, Kenny, the Jet Smith, shout out to Queens. Queens get the money. Matter of fact, nope. You know how we do on this. We go ahead and do other drops. Blah, blah, blah. Where is it? There it is. Southside. Okay. So we here now. So Kenny, the Jet, Kenny, the Jet Smith alluded that maybe that pass that Marcus Smart threw to Tatum before he hit the spin and laid it up on Kyrie before the clock expired, that maybe that pass wasn't supposed to go to him. Maybe it was supposed to go to your man's Derek White in the corner. I don't know, but either way, it worked. (laughs) Either way, whether Tatum snatched it out the air and laid it up, because if that pass goes to Derek White, no way he's getting that shot off. That shot would not have gone off in time. Because when Tatum got the shot, it was like when he got the rock, it was one point something. Then he had to spin and lay it up. In under like in under eight eight tenths of a second, the ball went through the hoop at point three. Now you could say the Nets had time, but you know you play on the road in Boston, Jack. And if you saw the, the episode of Winning Time last night, you see how that goes in the Boston Garden at times. But 
Oh yeah, and we will get there too. We will get there. Uh, yeah, I got I got some winning time thoughts. There's a reason why I haven't been really talking about it as much, and I will get to those later in the pod, maybe on the closeout. But Marcus Smart was able to capitalize with the pump fake, draw two defenders, get them up in the air. They go back. They go Birdman. He attacks the rim, or at least attacks the middle. Sometimes that's all you really need to do is to draw the defense in. Once you get two dudes in the air, they're out to play now. There's no going Birdman and then all of a sudden doing a LeBron chase down block. And people are getting that KD saying KD's controller froze. I've seen that. I've seen that online. I've seen that. KD controller froze like he Tatum shook him on the back door. Oh, there wasn't really a back door. He just cut to the rim because he thought Marcus Smart was taking the shot. That pump fake even made Jason Tatum go to the rim trying to get a rebound. But once the pump fake happened, Tatum was already on his way to the rim because he thought Smart was taking the shot. So then Smart adjusted, dropped it off to Tatum. Tatum was able to adjust, you know, the presence of mind to adjust and spin off Kyrie and lay it in. And man, great game. Great game. And I definitely can see this going seven. I hope it goes seven just for my own basketball nerddom. But, like, I just don't see one team being clearly that much better than the other. It's going to be close games throughout. You might get the occasional blowout here or there. But more times than not, this series is going to be highly, tightly contested games. So, look, there's a lot to get into. Should the Nets have gone bigger? I don't know if LaMarcus Aldridge, I thought at points, maybe you could have dusted him off to give you something. I'm not sure Blake would have helped. I think if you were to go with the big, and I think it was even said during the broadcast or post game that they should have went LaMarcus Aldridge. My thing is LaMarcus Aldridge has never really been a banger. Like he's a mid-range guy. So yeah, he's tall, but he's not big. And I think there's a difference in that. Like you can have a guy that's tall, but he doesn't necessarily like to play in the paint. Like Dirk, Dirk was tall, but he wasn't a big you understand what I'm saying? Like, like Margaret Aldridge is tall, but the majority of his points are on the wings. Very rarely is he backing down someone of his size anyway. And let me, he gets caught. If he catches a, a small guy on the switch, he'll go, he'll go to work. But more times than not, he's facing someone his size. He's taking them 18, 19 feet away from the basket. I don't know if LaMarcus Aldridge would have really been the answer there. I think the problem was Drummond got into foul trouble. Drummond got those three fouls and then picked up a fourth one quick in the second half, and it kind of just took him out the flow. It took him out the flow of the game. And that's the, that's the enigma of Andre Drummond. It's like when he's engaged, he's a 15-20 and 20 guy. When he's engaged, when he's locked in, when he's motivated, he can give you even 2020s. We've seen it. But when he's not engaged, they could get games like yesterday where he's lollygagging, he's not really going about the game the right way. And I think that's what has kind of hindered him from becoming what some people thought he was coming out of UConn. If Drummond is engaged, I don't think the Nets get destroyed on the boards. I think they, they got killed on the boards by 20 or high teens. I don't have the exact, I don't have the score sheet in front of me, but like, they got killed on the boards. They got killed on the offensive glass, and that led to a lot of second-chance points for the Celtics. And, yo, I mean, look, if if Ben is coming, which it seems like he's coming this series, and it seems like he's going to be there, if not by game three, definitely by games four or five, like, that's going to make a difference on the glass as well. 
Ben six nine six ten. You want to give him six eleven? I mean, okay, I wouldn't. But if you want to give him that, sure. Like he's a big body, and he's a guy that can grab the boards and now push. I think that was the thing that kind of messed it up a lot. When you have Brown out there, I think Drogic played some really important minutes. But now they're missing Joe Harris. This is a guy that can stretch the floor. Because when you're having the Kyrie and KD ISO explosion that the Nets are known for, like what helps that to stay hot? Like Kyrie made a lot of tough shots. Tough shots. But you saw at times in that game where he had to really work hard for a bucket or just for a shot attempt and for KD. It was definitely the same thing. Like they were able to, if not double KD, at least be very aware and have the presence of mind of when to send a second guy at him. You know, when he took that second dribble, if you go back and take a look, when he took that second dribble, not the initial dribble drive, but that second dribble, someone was coming. An extra man was coming. Now, if you swing the rock and it hits a Kyrie or it hits a Joe Harris or it hits a Seth, now it's bombs away. But you don't have that. You have Brown out there. You have Claxton out there. You don't have real finishers or guys that can really stretch the defense or hurt defense from an offensive perspective. It was almost about to be Hacker Claxton. <laughs> it was almost about to be Hacker Claxton in that second half because he kept bricking up free throws. They kept leaving him open because, like, look, just don't let him dunk it. He could be at the dunker spot. He could set the pick. He could slip the screen. It don't matter because if he gets the rock, just hack him. He ain't making the free throws. But if Ben is out there, that's another dynamic because now he's grabbing a rebound. He's pushing the tempo, and now he can either finish. Yes, I said it. He could either finish or he can facilitate. Now you got to worry about someone going full steam ahead right at the rim. And then you have KD on one wing, Kyrie on another. And then maybe you have Seth on a transition pull-up three. Now you're spreading the floor. You can't have two guys who can't really score on the floor. Even though you have the enigmas that are KD and, and Kyrie, you can have one guy who can't score. You can't have two. No matter how great Kyrie and, and KD are, and he almost pulled it out yesterday, even with a subpar KD performance, I don't think you can have that much of a mismatched lineup or a lopsided lineup to guys that can score than guys that can. So if Ben is out there, that will facilitate. Even though, you know, I know a Sixer fan, he can't score. Okay, sure, sure. But God would defend him two, three years ago. Anyway, um, so I think what it comes down to is the Nets need another score, whether it's through the paint, through drumming, or through shooting, like Seth, or the ultimate wild card of Ben Simmons. And the points that not only he could create, we know the stats, he's created the most three-pointers off of his assist or whatever the stat is. Like, if he could come out there and be that guy, create more threes for KD, create more threes for Kyrie, and get Seth going, then, you know, this is going to be good. <laughs> Either way, it is going to be good, and I'm looking forward to it. Grizzlies. Timberwolves. Huh? What happened? Wait, wait, wait. Who, who won game one? Wait, hold on, hold on. Who won? Who won on the road? Wait, who? Who beat a number two seed? 
in their first playoff game as a mishmash unit? Oh boy. Well, Memphis wanted to smoke. They talked a lot of shit, and they getting it. <laughs> Ant-Man is not for play-play. <laughs> Ant-Man is not for play-play. Fuck around if you want to. Ant-Man is not here for it. That boy, goddamn. Goddamn. Easy 30. E-Z-30. Ant-Man. I hope y'all made some money. I tried to get y'all some money. Listen to the Greg Larner show. I pop up on every week. I tried to give y'all an easy one. 22 and a half points for Ant-Man? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so easy money there. I mean, it was almost rent money. That was almost a rent money bet. I could keep it a buck with you. Like, like wait, what? 22 and a half? Rent money. Let's go. Um, anywho, so what are the Grizz going to do? Because my whole logic was maybe Triple J and Steven Adams lock up Cat or slow down Cat and then Ant-Man would have to go crazy. That's not even what happened. Cat <laughs> was doing this thing, even with doubles. Now, I thought it was interesting that there was a lot of high-low switching for the Grizz. And high-low in terms of they would do the D-low cat pick-and-roll, even the Ant-Man cat pick-and-roll, and the guards would switch onto cat, which doesn't make any sense because now you have Ant-Man being guarded by a big, a big that he can blow by, or you have cat on a guard that he could just post up and lay in. Like So I thought it was very weird. And, you know, this whole thing is a trend around the league. So this this is nothing new. But it's it was interesting to me to see that the switching, the auto switching for a team that I think legitimately could go straight up with the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies, it was strange to see them fall into the same trap that many other teams that don't have the same weapons they do defensively do. Like, it was weird to see them just go to auto switching and even high-low switching and just letting Cat do whatever and letting Ant-Man blow by whoever. Like, I was like, wait, if y'all just going to do this, yeah, T-Wolf's going to drop 125, 130 on y'all. If that's what y'all going to do, because you're not stopping anything. I thought they would at least try to take away one thing and then hope that your defense could slow down plans B and C for the Timberwolves. But if you let plan A get going in terms of Cat, and then you let Ant get 36? You're not trying to go to the second round. You're not trying to go to the second round if that's what the philosophy is going to be. Now, maybe it was game one jitters. Maybe. Maybe it was, you know, feeling the series out. Maybe it was just seeing what the T-Wolves would do if you played that type of defense. But where's the adjustment? Hopefully it'll be in game two. Because I'm telling you right now, T-Wolves go up 2-0. <laughs> you don't want to see what Ant-Man going to do at the crib at the Target Center. You don't want to see what Ant-Man going to do. Because he is a bucket. There's no other word. You could give me all the superlatives. Bucket. Bucket. Bucket, bucket, bucket. That's what that man is. Literally could just score. 
I don't have any old school comparison. I don't have I I don't think I haven't seen enough of him in terms of his arc and his career yet to be like, oh, he's a young this, he's a baby that. He's just a bucket. <laughs> Sometimes, like, you know, Young Reaper is out here looking like young KD. So that's why he gets the Young Reaper tag, because KD's Slim Reaper. I don't know what Ant-Man is. Ant-Man is just Ant-Man. It's just a bucket. 36. And I wouldn't be surprised if he could continue that prowess, because who on the grids could stop him? Desmond Bain tried, and he's got the muscles, but he don't got the lateral quickness. He don't got it. Man-Man is blowing by any Grizz right now. I wonder if they might have put Triple J on him. If you're going to let Steven Adams guard Cat Dolo, or if you're going to keep doing this nonsense with the high-low switching, then I would put Triple J, who I thought would have been a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year, but he wasn't. I would just put Triple J on on Ant-Man. Now, Ant-Man will have the speed, but I think, Triple J has the wingspan to be able to hang with him like a Tayshawn Prince back in the day. I think he has that type of wing-stopping ability. So we'll see what the Grizzlies do, but they got to do something because you can't let Cat go do what he does and let Ant-Man go for 36. You just can't. You're just asking to be upset at the crib. If the Mavericks lose, will Luka finally take a hit? Yeah, I know he's injured. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Sure. But this would be a third straight first round exit for your man's Luca. This would also be a third straight postseason where he's hurt and has had had to miss games in the playoffs. This will also be the third or maybe the fourth straight offseason where you could bring into his offseason conditioning habits. Slovenian Harden needs to be taken to task if the Mavericks go out here quick, fast, in a hurry against the Jazz. The Mavericks should beat the Jazz. But that was predicated on Luka actually playing. This man always gets hurt in the first round. Usually, he's good for a win or two before he gets hurt. But now he can't even get the game won. And he's already out. So I don't know, man. I would love for a blue check boy to step out on that ledge and say something about Luca instead of doing it just in group chats or on signal where the message disappears. I would love for a blue check boy to really put his name on it, put his or her name on it, because there's a lot of hers out there that be talking that same shit about Luca too. So it ain't it ain't a gender thing. People in the league know what type of time that Luca's on. But who's going to say the thing? If the Mavericks go out with a better team than they've had in years past, if you listen to the pundits and to the fan base, they're already killing Porzingis. Like, see, look how much better they are without Porzingis. So fine, you got rid of Porzingis. You brought in Dinwiddie. You have a new coach. J-Kid's gotten y'all to buy in on defense. And y'all can't beat the Jazz? The Jazz. Where no one wants to pass to Rudy? Like, literally, no one wants to pass to Rudy. You can't beat that team? 
the one-man gang known as Spider Mitchell? Next tape. Can't beat him? Something's got to give. I want someone, someone with a blue check and a shit ton of followers to say something about Luca. Because it's time. Now, if he comes back and he's cooking, hey, okay, now it's back to normal because they're supposed to win this series. And I think low-key, they could push the Suns. Because the Suns got a cakewalk in the first round with the Pels, despite Brandon Ingram, despite Young Reaper. But if it's going to be the Jazz against the Suns, we know how that's going to go. And that's why I tweeted out on the Elon app, hey, yo, Suns might not lose more than two games on the way to the conference finals. And if it's the Jazz in the second round and not the Mavericks, I think you can cement that. I think there's no way. There's no way that a Suns-Jazz series goes more than five games. Barring injury. Barring injury. There's no way. And the rest of the first round games kind of went according to plan. Like, I saw a lot of Twitter predictions. And a lot of them had no sweeps. A lot of them had a lot of series going six, seven games. I'm just like, what are y'all seeing? <laughs> what are, you think the Bulls are going to push the Bucks to six? Six. Six? Seis. I don't know how. I don't know how. I mean, even with the Bucks looking like lethargic, they still beat the Bulls yesterday. The Suns are going to make quick work of the Pels. The Heat with the Hawks, I mean, come on. The Hawks are fraudulent. They were fraudulent last year, and they kind of slipped, slide, and tricked their way off into the conference finals, but they fell back to earth, and they fell back to where they probably should be, even despite, oh, we don't got no John Collins. Sure, because that would have made that much more of a difference. I mean, maybe against Philly because they own Philly, but outside of that, I mean, there's really no no one else is worried about no damn Trey Young or John Collins having Embiid on a T-shirt. No one's really concerned about that. So the Heat will make quick work of the Hawks. The Bucks will make quick work of the Bulls. I mean, Philly making quick work of, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, but that Kobe and shit. <laughs> oh, wait, was was Maxi the Kobe? <laughs> but y'all said it was the beer when it really gets mad. <laughs> Nice, nice game one. Nice game one. Go get three more. Anyway, and then in the West, I mean, look, Suns gonna make quick work of the Pels. Uh, I think the Warriors will make quick work of the Nuggets. And you know, depends on what Luca does or Luca's injury status when it comes to the four or five in the Mavericks and the Jazz. So I don't really see a lot of long series. That's why I'm locked in on two seven. It's two seven heaven because I think that's where all eyes should be focused on in this first round of the NBA playoffs. Jumping over into the NFL, Brian Flores, man, that man keeps meticulous records. (laughs) That man keeps meticulous (laughs) records. He sent the NFL a memo detailing that alleged trip on the yacht with Stephen Ross and Tom Brady. (laughs) where he was asked to tank games. I don't know if the 100K per came out on that same uh, memo. I don't know if he put that in the memo, but he definitely let it be known. He was offered 
or encouraged to tank games. So, you know, your man's Brian Flores, Brownsville's own. I don't know if that's called snitching. I don't really know what that is that you could say it's called, you know, living your truth, speaking your truth or memoing your truth. I don't know if that's a thing. But your man's Brian Flores is out here telling. He out here telling. He not trying to have his name affiliated with no Tom Foolery or some Tom Bradery, if you want to get into that. But Flores is not here for it. Flores, I don't know if it's running from the smoke, if you're always telling. He's just that guy. There's always that guy or that person that you know that's always going to tell. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a colleague at work. You know there's always that person. Like, up oh, if that person's involved, that person going to tell. That person is always going to tell. So Brian Flores looks to be that guy, the guy that will always run, go tell what's happening. He don't want no problems. He's from Brownsville, a private school kid, went to what, went to Warrens or something. He's a, he's a private school kid to the fullest. So he knows about that life, that upper echelon lifestyle and life and how they move. And he also still knows that he's a black Honduran. So he's not out here. He's not trying to get mixed up in any chicanery that these fools, that these rich people are trying to pull off on him or using him to get off on. So Brian Flores sent a memo to the NFL that went unanswered back in 2019, alleging that his owner, Stephen Ross, told him, yo, if you tank some games, I'll make it a little nice for you. That's paraphrasing. It's not an actual lawsuit, but just more or less, yo, dogs, I'll pay you to lose games. I will pay you to lose games. Tom Brady was on that yacht. I don't know. I don't I don't know if the memo that Flores sent to the league, to the shield, has anything about what Tom Brady's involvement was. But now all of a sudden, a lot of tea is coming out in regards to allyship with Brian Flores. You have Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes, two former coaches, two black coaches that were one and done in the league. And, you know, shout out to the homie Shake. Of in, in the regulation podcast, tap in with them. They do some good shit over there. Uh, he put me on to the Mike Malarkey podcast that seemingly has always been there. It's always been living on the internet. And Mike Malarkey was basically like, yo, the owner told me the job is mine, but she has to go do this interview <laughs> just to appease the Rooney rule, but the gig is mine. So here we are yet again, where the Rooney Rule that was supposed to be put in place to give minorities a chance, being openly and almost, you know, laughably circumvented time and time again. So Brian Flores alleging institutional racism and the fact that he was not given a fair shot with the New York Giants because the Giants already had their pick and Belichick dropped the T in a incorrect text that went to the wrong Brian in Belichick's phone, that has beget now where he's had people join the lawsuit, which now maybe pushes it just that much closer to being a class action because now it has invited and opened the door for multiple people to join this. So now we have Brian Flores. Now we got Ray Horton. And now we got Steve Wilkes that have jumped out there and said, yep, same thing happened to me. What's the NFL's response? I haven't seen anything. 
I just want to see a deposition. I just want to see a deposition. Get these owners in a deposition where they have to say something. And it's recorded and it'll become available. That's all I want to see. I want to see them have pressure applied to them. I keep saying it's apply pressure season. This is the type of shit I'm talking about. Put these owners under the gun and apply pressure. Depose them. Get them on tape. 8K. Get them red cameras ready. Whether it's a Komodo or whatever. I mean, we only got to go down that road, but get the cameras ready. Because just imagine, just imagine Mike Malarkey being told by the owner of the team and he's the first interview. He was the first interview. And the owner told him, you got the job. I just got to go and do the song and dance of talking to a couple of black people or, or a woman or whoever just to appease everyone. And then I could spin the block and go hire you. So you're hired. Sit tight. Let me go interview you know, some black people and then I'll come back to you and give you the job. And then I can say it was a fair and, you know, it was a fair process because I spoke to a minority. This is what it is. This is systemic. This is institutional. This is what that is. So now it's not just Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. Now it's Ray Horton and the Tennessee Titans. And if you look at Steve Wilkes and his his short tenure, his one-year tenure in Arizona, he gets fired for having a losing record. He was saddled with Josh Rosen. And then they go get Cliff Kingsbury, who had a losing record, not only at his prior job in college, but in all of his jobs in college, he had a losing record. And he was gifted Patrick Mahomes. Johnny Manziel. And he had losses. He was taking mad L's. When you look at the quarterbacks he's had, or he had, in college, how did he have a losing record? But he was yet and still given this head coaching opportunity off rip. So when you're Steve Wilson, you're like, yo, you want to get me up out of here? Cool. But you go and get me up out of here for a dude that's got a worse record than me? That's been given more talent than I ever had and still has a worse record than me? That's who you're going to go with? So the cases are starting to come out. Hugh Jackson, who I thought was going to put his name out there, but... Based off that grambling shit that he tried to do with Art Browse, I mean, god damn Hugh. Hugh Jackson trying to sneak Art Browse in the back door. I mean, if it wasn't grambling, I would be open and just, I would be destroying Hugh Jackson. But because it is grambling, and I got family that played for grambling under Coach Robinson, I'ma let him skate. And I'll be open and honest about that. I'ma let him skate. But Hugh Jackson thinking he could sneak in all brows, the despicable, dishonorable out brows through the back door just because he can coach up offense. Damn, man. Dion applying pressure to the boys in the HBCUs. Dion got them under pressure. 
Eddie George out here coaching. Now we got Hugh Jackson out there coaching. And Prime got y'all under pressure so much that you're going to go back to the depths of hell to go get Art Browse and bring him back? Whew. But like I said, I thought Hugh Jackson was going to air his truth out and join this lawsuit. He has yet to put his name to paper. He's just have said publicly, oh, yeah, I've endured some of that same stuff. But he hasn't, to my knowledge, and if, I, if I'm wrong, please correct me, I have not seen anything where he is willing trying to join this potential class action lawsuit with Brian Flores. So it remains to be seen, but the stories are coming. If, if we've seen how Flores has gotten down with just his 2019 memo, imagine the other receipts that we know he has to have now. This has just confirmed, oh, he's got all the receipts. He has the screenshot text message from Belichick. He's got the 2019 memo that he sent about Stephen Ross on the yacht trying to convince him to take games. Flores got all the receipts, bro. So all of it is going to come out. They're slow playing, trickling out the, the, the receipts, but they coming. And now you have Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes, and this podcast that Malarkey was on is still existing. It's still sitting there on Twitter, and it was there. It's been there for a minute. It's not like this is some, like, unearthed tea. That pod's been sitting there for a minute. It's just now resurfaced again. Amazing times. Amazing times. Brian Flores and the fight against the systemic institutional racism of the NFL's hiring practices is getting more and more life breathed into it with every receipt that's being dropped. As if the Dolphins offseason hasn't been more tumultuous. And you can look at the Tyreek Hill thing as a huge uptick for them. They went and got Devontae Parker out of there. I thought they might try to keep all three, but they went and flipped Parker to the Patriots of all teams. That was weird. And now, you know, you have to live with the fact that they were going to have Tom Brady. They were going to have Tom Brady. Maybe not this year, but soon. Tom Brady was going to suit up at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, a franchise that hasn't had a legitimate quarterback since Dan Marino. And I talked to y'all either was last pod or the pod before that. I think it was the Tyreek Hill episode where, you know, there's people in 2022 in Miami supporting that team, still walking around with Marino jerseys. So there hasn't been a high-profile enough player since then. Maybe going to throw in some Ricky Williams or some Jason Taylor or Zach Thomas, but not really in terms of national High profile, especially at the quarterback position, the alleged most important position in all sports. There hasn't been anyone to man that position that's been worth a damn since Dan Marino. So with the fact that the Dolphins were ducking the Deshaun Watson smoke all throughout the year, pinning that on Brian Flores, the fact that they have this enigma in Tua where they don't know what they have yet, outside of the fact that he's really accurate and he's really good throwing the ball mid-range. He's a DeMar DeRozan of quarterbacks. He's really good at mid-range, but if you ask him for deep balls, yeah, but nah. Nah, that, that ain't it. That ain't it for Tua. So the DeMar DeRozan of quarterbacks is really, he's, I, how do you feel if you're Tua? They brought in Fitzpatrick, and he replaced you. And the offense looked better with him at quarterback than you. Then they go get rid of him and make the job yours. Then they go bring in Jacoby Brissett. And when he comes in, the offense looks better 
stand with you. Then Jacoby goes Jacoby and fall down and goes boom. And now it's Tua's job and Tua just shows us who he is. He's the mid-range king. Five, seven yards, got you. Right there on a string. Deep balls, eh. Corner routes, eh. Sluggos, eh. But them checkdowns, I'm here. I'm right there on the money, right in the hands. Sometimes in the DB's hands, but right in the hands. Then you deal with the Deshaun Watson rumors that existed the entire year. The entire year. And then after that, and now Watson is now a Cleveland Brown, so you're thinking, all right, well, that's over. Well, now you got to deal with the fact that Tom Brady was coming to take your job. How is Tua supposed to exist with any of this? From Fitzpatrick to Jacoby Brissett to the rumors of Deshaun Watson to now knowing the fact that Tom Brady was coming to take your job. How the hell is Tua supposed to concentrate on hitting sluggos with Tyreek Hill? How? And what we thought was going to be, all right, Tua's got all the pieces now. Now he can relax and... How are you going to relax with this shadow now for this season of knowing Tom Brady? In some people's eyes, the GOAT, not to me, was basically going to come be your owner or your front office executive just buying time long enough to finagle his way back onto the field and take your job. Because that's what has come unearthed by the Boston Globe. Tom Brady retired. And we thought it was going to be this storybook thing of, all right, he's finally walking up to the sunset. He's had enough. No, he was just going to lay low, do the front office thing, give the appearance of, all right, I'm here now. This is my transition into the second part of my life. Scheme his back way into picking the roster, including picking the head coach and being the now retired Sean Payton. And then he was going to come out of retirement, come down from the front office and start to play quarterback with now his handpicked head coach. Gronk probably pulling up with Gusecki. So now they could do the old Aaron Hernandez. Mm. Mm. Anywho. Brady was going to handpick this roster, get all of his mans in them to pull up the South Beach, to pull up the Hard Rock, and get it cracking after about a year or so, chilling in the front office as a VP of personnel or whatever. He was trying to get like a Derek Jeter type thing. Where Jeter went to the Marlins, and I think I talked about it here, where he went to the Marlins, he put in 25 mil of his own bread. And he got a contract from the Marlins to be the VP of baseball operations or whatever his, his title was for five years for five mil. Do the math. I don't know what y'all make of this besides the fact that I don't ever want to hear about tampering ever again. I don't want to ever hear about tampering in the NBA. I don't ever want to hear about tampering in college. This is now the highest level of tampering outside of politics that I've ever seen in my life. This meant, how long was this going on? Was this what was said on the yacht with Flores in 2019? Was this yacht talk? Was this big yacht talk? 
Because, again, we know that the Dolphins' ties, especially with Stephen Ross and his Michigan ties, are crazy. There were the rumors of Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan to go to Miami. So look at the, look at the timeline of all of this. Flores really fucked up Stephen Ross's like coup attempt of tricking the NFL. This was huge tampering. And Stephen Ross is an elderly man. So this is a man that's just trying to see a winner before he's six feet deep. And he was willing to cash in all his chips on his Michigan alumni to get this cracking. And then Flores, as we talked about in the last segment, the type of guy that he is that loves to tell because he don't want no smoke coming his direction, aired it all out and tricked it all off of Stephen Ross. He went from potentially having Jim Harbaugh, Michigan alum, to then potentially having Tom Brady as his quarterback, Michigan alum. And then Brady was going to handpick the whole goddamn team, including the coach and Sean Payton. Now, how that would have worked, I don't really know. But the fact of the matter is, is that Stephen Ross has shown a nepotism and a desperation to win at all costs. He tried to lose at all costs with Brian Flores, but Flores was telling. So he wasn't rolling with it. So once Chris Greer and Flores built this roster back up to being a respectable one and a potentially dangerous one, all right, now let's go see if we can go get the real big fish, which is Tom Brady. My man's Brady or my man's Jim Harbaugh and have them come in here and really take it to the next level. The Harbaugh thing flamed out. He went back to school. Allegedly for one more year, which is a little shaky there. But Harbaugh goes back to school. All right, cool. That door's closed. All right, let's reopen this Tom Brady one. All right, Tom, guess what? You go retire. Everyone knows you and Arians are beefing, so you go retire. Then once the smoke clears, then you come circle back over here. Now, this was all predicated on the Flores thing not being a thing. The Flores lawsuit not being a thing. All right, Tom, then once you retire, you circle back over here. You become a front office guy with us, Michigan ties, where we're alumni, we kinfolk, we good, everyone will understand. You'll, you'll be, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. You'll be doing the John Elway thing like he does in Denver. You'll be doing that type of vibe. But now, Flores hits everyone with this lawsuit. Now, everyone's pressed. Again, apply pressure season. Everyone's pressed just after mention of this lawsuit and the ramifications it can have if this goes to trial, if this goes to a deposition where all T has to be unearthed. And Brady has skirted that in the past by destroying cell phones before deflate get. Mm. Mm. Where all those cell phones go? Mm. SIM cards just destroyed and no one got the. Hmm. Anywho. So Brady was supposed to pull up front office exec, play that game for about a year, then unretire. All of a sudden, Sean Payne's head coach threw a smoke screen. And now you have Sean Payne as your head coach, Tom Brady as your quarterback, and I'm sure with that year of him being front office personnel, he's handpicking the guys he wants for the next year when he's coming back as QB. How is all of that not tampering? How are charges not being levied against the Dolphins? 
if the Boston Globe is able to unearth this story with receipts, how is the league not investigating this? So you have the Flores T slash memo that was sent to the league saying, yo, your man Stephen Ross is out here bribing me to lose. Now you have the Boston Globe saying, yo, Stephen Ross and Tom Brady are colluding for him to get a front office job just so he can buy time enough to come back and play. And he's going to pick the coach. And allegedly there's a handshake deal that once he's actually done playing, if that ever actually comes, he's going to get an ownership piece of the Dolphins. So this was a handshake agreement probably on that yacht. Probably on that yacht when Flores was being asked to bribe, was being asked to tank. This has been in the works for about three years. I don't want to hear about the big three in Miami and the collusion all they did at the Olympics. That's so crazy. This is real collusion. This is real tampering. This isn't, hey, man, we should play together. This is, no, I want a piece of the team. I'm going to pick the team. I'm going to pick the head coach. And when I'm done, I want a piece of the team. That's different, bro. And now the Flores thing throws all of that out the window. So now Brady's got to go to the Bucks and be like, yeah, I'll come back. But you got to get Arians to fuck up out of here. Y'all know I'm not fucking with him. He's the reason why we retired in the first place. He's the reason why I wanted to go to Miami in the first place. So now that that's tricked off, I right, get Arians old ass to fuck up out of here or kick him upstairs or something like that. The same trumped up position Arians has now is essentially what Brady was going to be in Miami. Kicked him upstairs. He's just there. He's just about, he's just drawing the check and you get to show up and make appearances. So now Brady has to spin the block back to Tampa and be like, yo, I'll come back, dogs, because I never really wanted to retire, but I was only going to retire because of the, the power play I was going to receive in Miami. So now since Brian Flores put all that up in smoke, I'll spin the block and come back and play for y'all, but y'all need to get Arians to fuck up out of here. And that's exactly what happened. Look at the layered nepotism and just, you know, anyone who says networking doesn't work. I mean, this is just a smack in the face to that. Nepotism and uh, networking and relationships and not what you know is who you know. All of that is winning right here. These are all exhibit A for those arguments. Adam Schefter really tried to leverage his apology to Dwayne Haskins family friends and loved ones by sending a link to his podcast uh never forget this is who they are and it's really becoming it's coming it's becoming boring to keep talking about these blue check boys in a manner that i do because i think some of this audience has seen it and has learned and I don't know if this is really my goal to make y'all like unfollow all of these dudes, but I think I just want to keep making y'all aware. But now it's becoming to the point where I don't even have to say anything. I don't have to say anything when when Schefter jumps out there and says the despicable shit that he did to break the news of um, Dwayne Haskins death. I don't have to say anything. Just my text starts blowing up. My text start blowing up. The DMs start hitting or the mentions start hitting. And people are like, damn, dog, blue check boys. I'm like, yeah. This is your man's. And I finally had to say it on the Elon app, just saying like, yo, the easiest way to just get all of this out of here, just unfollow man's. That's his currency. 
He just re-upped for a bag. It's still less than the overworked, underpaid, not hiding behind the paywall, fresh off assembling his big three, now trying to get that old thing back with Mad Dog Russo, Fraud A. Smith. He's still getting less than him. But the currency that he has as an alleged insider when really it's just being sycophants for people in NFL front offices and also the NFL draft and being tape delayed by minutes so that it appears he has the information before anyone. There are things put in place to make people look more and bigger than what they actually are. If you have the all the cell phone numbers of every team in the league and they hit you with info, are you really an insider? Or are you just a dude that has the cell phone number of everyone's front office? Because if you look at the information and how it drops, and I'm not going to sit here like I'm, I'm holy. At one point in time, I did follow Sun because that was part of the job that I had at the time. As a producer, I had to follow those dudes. And I spoke about that in a thread on the Elon app. But that, that's really what, it, really what it was. Is I had to be aware of the information to pass the information to my host. That was the gig as a producer, whether it was radio or television, which I did both. Light work. So when it comes to that, it's like, well, if these things are put in place, if we're tape delaying the draft so that he appears to have information first, if when certain news drops and he tweets and Ian Rappaport tweets and information kind of drops at the same time, is it really an insider? Because the same thing happens with Woj and Shams. They'll both drop the info within seconds, if not a minute, of each other. Does that really make them insiders? Or does that make the fact that these front offices are sending the same info to the same guys and letting them know what's going on? Is that really an insider? To me, an insider was someone working in the shadows, getting the tea that the front office doesn't want out to get out. That's what I used to like watch or read growing up. Like here in the local area of New York, you had uh, Mitch Lawrence, who I had the pleasure of working with at Sirius XM later in, in his career, and also uh, Peter Vesey. I grew up on those dudes that were giving tea that the teams and the players didn't want out. That to me was insiders. Not just, oh, well, the assistant GM texted me this, so I'm going to tweet this out. That's not being an insider to me. The insider is getting information that's not supposed to be out and putting it out. But again, still, Schefter went out here and put the despicable tweet out there and has now since deleted the tweet. And and now here, here's where the Elon app is really getting wild. I didn't even know this was a, a function or a feature. If you were to screen, if you took the screenshot of that tweet, because it still exists, it's still floating around, and you tweeted that, Somehow the app knows you did that and Sch- and Schefter has put it so that if you ever have tweeted that, you will get automatically blocked. You will get automatically blocked by Schefter if you have ever tweeted out that screenshot. Amazing times we're in. I did not know that was even a feature. But this is how petty he is. So if you bring up the fact that he tweeted something despicable, he thinks he can just erase history. The tweet sat there for a few minutes and he thinks he could just erase that. 
But if you try to remind him or anyone else of that, you're blocked by him. But see, the thing about it is that with so many aggregate accounts on the Elon app, especially, there's no reason to follow these dudes. Because when they tweet whatever they're going to tweet, these aggregate sites are right there. Screenshotting it, hat tipping it, whatever, and just regurgitating that content for us. I'd much rather give my click to them than to the dudes that's trying to get the currency directly off of it and treating it in a despicable manner like Adam Schefter. And then you have, you know, your man's fraud, A. Smith. Who's out here on a NBA platform that he has rebuilt himself. Pick the roster. Pick Greenberg. Pick Jalen. Pick Wilbon. And then he's out here trying to talk about NBA basketball and he doesn't know who's hurt. He didn't know John Collins was hurt. He just keeps showing you that he doesn't watch the games. He's not paying attention because they're running that man ragged because he's overworked. Y'all keep thinking I'm joking. He keeps showing you that the man is worn out and he could go do press runs and do all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, look, he got a bag. He's from Queens. Queens get the money. You know how we give it up. But outside of that, it's like, yo, dogs, you really showing your ass, bro. He's made it. They are invested fully in him. He's the one for them. But too often, he keeps showing you that he's out of it. He's out of it. And he can leverage his alleged connects and he can do all of that type of stuff and he can you know, threaten people veiledly and all of that stuff. And then he can also lean on the fact, oh, I've helped this amount of, you know, people of color get on. Okay, all of that is cool. But the fact of the matter is, is who you have portrayed yourself to be in front of the camera, on a microphone, shaking the light. And that's me being nice. All right, before I get up out of here, let's talk winning time. And I don't know about you, I thought winning time was going to be one of those ones. I thought winning time was going to be like another last dance type thing that was like must see appointment viewing television, even despite the fact that we were in a pandemic and we had nowhere else to go but to watch ESPN every Sunday, waiting for them joints to drop. But winning time, it hasn't hit for me. It hasn't hit for me. I know it's hit for a lot of y'all. I've talked to a a few of y'all who I know listen to the pod and just other people in general. And y'all really rocking with it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that y'all are because I think the story should be told, right? Like, I'm not here saying don't watch. I'm saying watch, but then go read the book. And I've never been one of those guys or one of those people that's like, oh, this is nothing like the book. Like, I've never been in that scenario before. I am now. <laughs> I am now when it comes to this. Showtime by Jeff Perlman is way better than this show. And I'm glad that the actors are getting a good chance to run. I think visually it's very impressive what they've been able to do. I think they've mixed in a lot of today's messaging in the telling of a story from 40 years ago. I think all of that is dope. It ain't the book, though. It just it just isn't the book, man. It just isn't the book. And I implore you, if you, if you had to do the audio book, it's about 18 hours. I ain't going to hold you. It's about 18 hours. Or if you do the actual book, like it's it's a lot of chapters, bruh. But it's thorough. And that's where I think the show the show gives you like the cliff notes or the Wikipedia version of the story. 
there's a lot of stuff that's just, I mean, you can't show, if the audiobook is 18 hours, you can't show 18 hours of television unless you're doing like 18 one-hour episodes, which I would love. I would love if they gave it up like that, but they're not. They're not going to do that. They're, they're bouncing around. They're skipping around. They're, they're trying to isolate certain characters and build their storylines up in the midst of keeping up with the timeline of the actual team. It's a lot to juggle. It's a big ask to condense 18 hours in an audio book to 10 one-hour episodes. That is a super condensed version. That's almost half. It's almost half of the time. And for me, someone that read the book first and then watched the show second, it, it looks it. It looks it. But again, watch it. If, if you haven't read the book, watch Winning Time. It's still dope. It's, it's shot well. I love the way that they mix uh, 70s, 80s looking footage, you know, SD antenna with the foil on the tips footage with, you know, today's HD, 8K, 4K type shit. Like, I'm here for it. But if you really care about the Lakers, I think it's worth, or just the story, if you want more, if you're left wanting more after finishing this, um, this season, even if there is a second season, I don't know if there is one. I know they are allegedly trying to do Jeff Perlman's second Laker book, which is on the Kobe Shaq Lakers, which I referenced here about a month or two ago. They're trying to get that book and get the rights for that so that they could do a show on the Kobe Shaq Lakers. Now that one, that one I think they can do better on because it's more current. We know a lot about the two guys already. So like you can really get into the shits. Now they're going to tap dance around Kobe in Colorado. The book doesn't three, uh, what's it called? Three ring circus. Like, yeah, the Kobe and Shaq years with Phil Jackson. Like they get to the shits with Kobe in Colorado. I don't know if they'll give it up like that on TV, especially with his passing and how Vanessa is really trying to protect his legacy and enhance it as well as Gigi's like, I don't know if they could do that, but the book tells it straight up and down. The book tells it. So we'll see. We'll see. But enjoy winning time for what it is. I would just say if if you really want the real because Jeff Perlman did hundreds of interviews for this book. Hundreds. Let me let me repeat. The research he did was hundreds of interviews. He didn't just go reread old newspapers and old profiles or read a couple of biographies on Laker players. Like he went and talked to players, talked to equipment managers, talked to cheerleaders, talked to executives. He talked to the main people involved and got the real tea. And that's why the book was so damn good. It spawned this show in the first place. So, and even that took eight years from what Jeff Perlman has been making around saying. It took eight years for this show to get made. So enjoy the show. Enjoy winning time. I'm going to finish it. I'm not boycotting it. I'm not going to not watch it. But every time I watch an I watch sh- uh, episode, I'm like, <sighs> but there's so much more. There's so much more that you just can't show, I guess. But I thought I would think in today's age of streaming, who says you only got to do 10 episodes in streaming? Who says 10's the limit? Who says 12's the limit? I, I don't know. I don't know. But Winning Time is still good. It's still good visually. The, the cin- cinematography is really good. I like how they 
twist in a lot of today's storylines into how it would have related back then. I like that. But it ain't the book, man. So shout out to Jeff Perlman once again. But yeah, still check out Wintertime, though. But just understand, the book is better. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, Just crossed another milestone in terms of downloads. We'll talk about that next episode. Uh, Love the interaction. Love the energy. Love the feedback. It's always greatly appreciated. As these playoffs go on, y'all know how I give it up. I'm popping in with more pods. So y'all know every NBA Finals, I do a pod after every game. So that will remain true this year. But as these playoffs go along, I will definitely be checking in. I will definitely be more on the Elon app, interacting with you all. So, hey, man, let's get to the shits. Playoff season is here. This is where I kick it up to another gear. For the Sam D Podcast, I'm the Sam D. I'm out.